Let's see, I'm doing a message series in the first part of the year about forging relationships with our community. That would be perfect. <laughs> and so uh, here she is. Courtney is here to share a little bit about uh, CASA. And, um, and just I'm so glad that you reached out and that we could Thank do this. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks to all of you for allowing me some time to, to talk with you. And thank you for the support you've already shown um, the organization, but more importantly, the, the kids that we, that we serve. So I'm so grateful to have some time. That's good. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I asked, uh, I told Courtney a few questions I wanted to ask, and one of them is just, um, can you explain, just to all of yeah. us, just explain what CASA is, CASA Passaic, and, and uh, just what does the acronym what mean, do. what do we do, yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yes. Um, so uh, CASA can mean so many things, right? But for us, CASA is um, an acronym for Court Appointed Special Advocates of Passaic County. Um, and essentially what we are is a nonprofit located here in Wayne, but supporting the foster care system across Passaic County. We're a team of about 20 um, staff members here in Wayne, supporting working with um, connecting to 160 plus, depending on the day, volunteers who serve as advocates in the foster care system. So um, we are appointed to um, children in the foster care system at the request of the Passaic County Judici Judiciary or the family court judge who requests that CASA be a part of the life of a child or, or children while they are living in the foster care system. So I guess maybe the best way to describe what we do is to talk about a scenario. Um, you know, so let's just say that authorities are called to a domestic disturbance on a Saturday evening and discover that there's a child in the home who they deem is at um, at risk. Their safety is, is at severe risk and they have no choice but to remove that child from, from the situation. So a child is immediately placed in that scenario into a foster care home. Um, Monday morning, the judge is called in to hear this case. This child's family becomes a case in the court system. A social worker is assigned to that child. A um, legal representative, a law guardian is assigned to that child. And also a CASA is assigned to that child. So the child welfare system, unfortunately, is very overburdened. And that social worker, that legal guardian, have you know 30 or 40 other children that they're trying to, or cases that they're trying to wrap their arms around. The CASA has one. So the CASA volunteer, the advocate, is there to be that one-on-one -on -one for the child and ultimately for the judge. They get to know the child, they get to know their, you know, how they're experiencing um, life in the foster care system. They get to know the child's biological family and what's going on in their family home. They get to know doctors and teachers and essentially represent that child's life in court. They're the voice of that child in court, so the judge can have the full picture, not just piecemeal, of what's going on for that child and really what they need to be successful. I would say fundamental to CASA is the belief that children are, are living in foster care through no fault of their own, yet their lives are traumatically and forever changed. And so the CASA's role is really to help ensure that they're, they still have every chance for success, that this isn't going to derail them for life, that they will have the support and services that they need. And sometimes, you know, that requires a court order to make sure that that's happening. We make sure that, we try to make sure that these kids don't fall through the cracks. Mm. Um, 
it's fascinating. Even just hearing you say that, we've talked a couple of times. I've been to Casa stuff, talked with Erica, yeah. uh, your boss, right? Yeah. Um, I had never heard it explained that way. So that was really helpful. Um, for some of you, my background is in social work. Um, that's where I thought I was actually going before God called me to ministry. And so my, and my sister, as I told Courtney the other day, my sister um, is a DSS worker in Lynn. So she's part of the foster care system on the other side, helping kids get out of tough situations. Mm -hmm. But what's fascinating is just hearing that coming full circle. It just, it tugs at my heart a little bit because it's kind of like how I'm wired just to hearing what you're talking about. Um, it's really neat to just hear that from my perspective. So yeah. um, can you share a little bit, because I, I could go on about how I kind of got involved in this, <laughs> yeah. but talk a little bit about how you got involved with the organization. What drew you personally uh, to be uh, part of CASA? Yeah, thank you for that question. You know, and um, it's certainly not about me at all, uh, but, but it does, um, it is nice to have an opportunity to reflect on just how much CASA has changed my life, you know, in, in um, so many positive ways. So, you know, I've had a good life. My background, my background is uh, professionally in higher ed, so I've spent most of my career working on college campuses um, as a, you know, sort of student administrator role. Um, and on the personal side, uh, my husband and I met, you know, I'll say later in life, but we got married, you know, we were, we were both uh, just about 40, and so, um, we had to bup, bup, bup if we were going to have children, and uh, thankfully we do have one son who is uh, seven, and um, you know we we always felt I'm one of eight kids in my family, so I always thought well we're going to have all these children and and we're going to have you know this this amazing family life and um, fertility is reality, and so we realized that he would be our only biological child, and so we started to think about other right that's. Biology isn't the only way to grow a family, and so we started to think about other ways to do that. And of course, that led me to invest uh, researching, investigating, researching um, the foster care program and opportunities mm -hmm. there. Um, and that's really what led me to Casa, quite frankly. Um, and in Passaic County, you know, the 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 goal always in foster care is reunification with biological family. That is always what we are working yep. towards. And the CASA advocate plays such a, can play such an important role on that path, and it's a big commitment. So as I was researching this at the time, I was commuting into the city, and I said, you know what, I just don't have the time yeah. to devote to CASA, and so I put it on the back burner at that moment. And then when I said, oh wait, my child is going into elementary school, how am I going to continue to do, right? My life was changing, and so I went back to CASA, and I was so fortunate because they were hiring. They were hiring, and I applied for the position that I have now, and I'm so very grateful to Erica Castlander, our executive director, who took a chance on me. I mean, my background's higher ed, but you know, the Lord leads you, and I was so grateful to be hired into this position and further grateful that she trusts me to be an advocate. So through my professional um, career, through this job, I'm also trained as an advocate and I have the privilege of working with three kids who are siblings living in foster care who give me so, so much. Um, they're wonderful kids and um, I'm thrilled every time I have the opportunity uh, to see them. And so, so that's, that's where I'm at. That's what, you know, my life circumstances drew me in my career to this to this space, um, you know, and and getting to know not just the children I work with, but.
but their whole experience and the other advocates, regular people from the community, you know, up and down Passaic County, outside of, you know, neighboring counties, uh, individuals who just say, you know what, I'm, go I'm going to jump in and, and participate as an advocate. It's such a special organization to get to know even these people who, yeah. who just give their time and, and are, are happy to do so because of what you get. There's an energy that I see in, in, in CASA. I mean, we talk about CUMAC, I see the energy there, but I see the energy in, in CASA. Just, again, whether that's Eric and the team or what that is, but there's an energy that's there um, that, that's attractive, you know, yeah. that you just want to be a part of it. Um, you, so you were just saying about being an advocate. It occurs to me, as you just said that, that um, once you're appointed as an advocate, mm -hmm. once you get that role, then you're with those kids for the duration. Yes. I mean, unless something happened and you had to move, you're with right. those kids, and that's a, that's a relationship that you build over the course of potentially 20 years. I mean, not I mean, from birth to whenever they yep. age out. I would I would, I would imagine 21. That's a long. Yeah. That's a long time. Potentially, yes. And and you know, as I was, as I mentioned, you know, I knew in the early stages of my research with Casa that I couldn't be an advocate because right. I was working in the city and there were a lot of demands on my time. And when an individual um, goes through training and signs up to be an advocate, they are making a commitment. Um, you know, there's certainly the month-to-month -month time, which is you know, each month getting to see the children, getting to see their family, their, re their foster family, their teachers, whatever the case may be, those things that happen each month. It's going to court every couple of months. Um, you know, and, and being committing to, again, life is life, so you can't plan for everything, but for the most part, taking on this role, understanding that your goal is to be with the child mm. for as long as they're in care. And sometimes that's super quick, right? Sometimes, sure. sometimes that's a you know, couple of months. Um, I've been with my kids for two and a half years, so you know, sometimes it's longer. And yes, children do age out of the system, mm -hmm. so they have the ability, or they have the ability to um, leave the child welfare system at the age of 18, but many stay until 21, which is, which is what they're permitted to do. Yeah. So, um, and then advocates often maintain that relationship Correct. with right. the with the children, often with their with their families, um, and you know um, the relationship changes and evolves, um, but they but they stay connected often. Um, the advocacy is born out of one of uh, a position of trauma. Right, it's born out of a place of usually trauma, a traumatic situation. But what's interesting is, as you're talking about this, I'm thinking back to times where I've had mentors or I've had people mm -hmm. who have poured into my life and have made a difference and walked with me through different challenges or whatever, mm -hmm. even just life stages, and how valuable that was. Mm -hmm. And so, as mm -hmm. you just said that, I, I just was tying that together with, they don't necessarily leave because if there's a chance that they can stay connected, um, I would imagine many, many do if they yep. can. Uh, because of that, there's a there's a solidness there. Absolutely, I mean, especially for our um, older kids, you know, teenagers who are embarking on life or embarking on a life on their own. Yep. Um, how do you do that? You know, when yep. you're 18, 19, 20, and don't don't have that uh, foundation, and so often the relationship with their casa. Um, Gives some of that, you know, gives, gives some of that information and know-how and confidence yeah. um, that you know you can do it. You yeah. can do it, and, yeah. and you have support. Um, so we've talked a little bit about Casa and kind of where Casa goes. I want to back up to kind of what we, the role we played, 
Yeah. Um, because we're, I don't know if any of you are CASA advocates, I'm not, and um, maybe you are, but um, we, uh, we want to talk a little bit about the angel tree. And I know you yes. wanted to talk a little bit about the, yes. the, 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 the angel tree. Can you talk about that? Because what our role was is, uh, is different than, than being an advocate. We were able to provide and help uh, students within the program. So maybe talk a little bit about what we just did as a Christmas yes. program. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> if there's any message I can share today, it's thank you. Um, your support of the, the, as we describe, holiday wish drive or the yes. angel tree yep. um, here in church is, has, was just tremendous this year. We were overwhelmed by uh, the support received from the community, from this community, um, along with, with some others who really helped to make sure that every child that we work with in the, in the Passaic County foster care system, and this was about 400 kids, uh, received holiday gifts, and in just about every case, the holiday gifts that they asked for. You know, one of the things that we try to focus on at CASA is helping or helping to ensure that children who are living in the foster care system aren't living, we try to provide as much normalcy, right, as possible, because there's nothing normal about it. But, and, and not every foster home looks the same, right, and not every foster home prioritizes the holiday season in the same way. Um, yet holiday gifts at Christmas time is, is such a nice thing for a child to experience. And so with your support, uh, we were able to, well, Rose was, is Rose here? I didn't she's, see not, Rose. she's not here. No, yeah. <laughs> so she gathered all of the gifts that you all um, donated to the program. And I actually had the privilege of coming to pick them up, brought them back to our office. And what we did was handed them to the advocate working with the child. So you provided the gifts that we handed to the advocate who brought them to the child on, on, um, on or before, in most cases, uh, Christmas Eve. So um, that's such a special thing to be able to do. Um, the children tell us what they want, you know, or their foster family tells tells us what they want. We're not trying to just shower them with toys and have a happy life. No, we're trying to give them what they've asked for, um, which for some children is is something they've never seen before. And so it's mm -hmm. it's really tremendous. And we're just so grateful that with your support, we were able to, um, you know, to bring that that Christmas magic right to yeah. to kids, um, many of whom might otherwise not not have felt that this year and and um, like I said we were able to support almost 400 kids across the county so uh, that was really special yeah. and this was the second year that the community here has yep. done that uh, with CASA so thank you very yeah. much for your for your support I'm so glad that we've been able to be put in touch and um, as I said in the beginning one of our themes as a church is forging relationships with the community and um, there's no shortage of need, as you know, out in the community, and just trying to figure out mm -hmm. where that can go. So yep. um, these folks know, everybody here knows, that we've really tried to work with um, uh, with Kumac mm -hmm. and try to do stuff with mm -hmm. Mark. Mark's been here a few times. And now, actually in touch with Mark, put me in touch with Erica, which puts me in touch with you, mm -hmm. which puts us in touch with, um, with the CASA program. And so um, our hope as a church, at least this is what I'm hoping from us, is that we'll continue to forge that relationship, forge relationship yeah. with you guys and moving forward and i thought i know you had a story that you were thinking of sharing yep. but can you help us understand what does that look like maybe in the future how can we continue to partner with you what can we keep doing to to forge that relationship with this community yeah. of casa yeah you know with with the holiday wish driver the angel tree i wish that you all could be in the living rooms with mm -hmm. these kids and you know see them and and get to know them on a personal level as well but one of the things that you know is so important is that they're um, 
but confidentiality and is respected, right? And, and that being in foster care does not define them, and so we don't want to put that definition around them by in any in any way. But um, again, the, the relationship with those kids is is so special. Um, what I would say is that to stay connected with them, we need volunteers. That's one very tangible way. And you know, if it's if it's one of you or a friend or a coworker or someone in your life that you think, wow, this person has that time and, and maybe could be flexible and and com communicate and connect as a volunteer would be amazing. We are always looking to grow and expand within the community and so um, helping build that awareness throughout your communities is a is a big source of support for CASA and ongoing. And it's really amazing, I think, what what the community can do. So I will tell, if it's okay, the story of uh, Brian, who is a young man that was in the CASA program. He was in the foster care system in Passaic County for most of his teenage years. He entered the foster care system at um, the age of, I want to say, 13. Um, and was in the system through the age of 21 when he aged out. And so throughout that time, he went from one home to the next. I want to say he was in probably 20, if not 30 different homes, you know, over the course of that time. Um, he had a lot of trouble. He was, he was, you know, dealing with the emotions that come along with the trauma that he experienced. And, you know, that was physical sometimes and certainly verbal. And, and as a result, you know, sort of was moved around. He um, had some, he had a hard time in school. He, you know, he was moved between schools as he moved homes, um, which added additional trauma and struggle and, and difficulty for him as he grew up. Well, when he aged out of the system, he had started taking some courses locally at uh, one of the community colleges, and it took him some time. He was sort of a start-stop kid, uh, but after a couple of years, he was able to get his associate's degree, and I can't tell you what it was that, that what light bulb went off mm. for Brian, but he said, you know what? I'm going, I've got a future. He was basically on his own. He said, I've got a future and I'm the only one who can control it and so I'm gonna get something done. And he decided to apply to a number of colleges locally. He got into an Ivy, um, but before he got into that Ivy, he needed to do the paperwork. Again, when you're, when you're in foster care as a teenager, you, you know, how do you know how to fill out a FAFSA or a college application and so he reached back out to CASA to say hey you've, you've helped me along the way can you help me figure this out which of course we did and he um, applied and got into an Ivy League um, and he is in Manhattan trying to figure out how to get going in an apartment in Manhattan um, so that he can focus on school and do what he has to do so he he asked um, Erica, our executive director, for a little bit of support. Well, that gave us an opportunity to turn around to the community that has supported CASA all along to say, hey, this young man is doing amazing things. He's in the city. He's in an empty studio. Can we help him out? And the community came together. This man now has a sofa. He's got a kitchen table. He's got a fully outfitted bathroom, kitchen, everything he needs. He's even got like a little patio where we set up, you know, little chairs and a little um, patio table for him outside. And so he's fully set up. And so he's so, so appreciative. And this wasn't anything I did. We just said, hey, to the community of people that support CASA, this young man needs a little bit of help. And with everybody giving, um, 
to his apartment, basically, we're able to together provide for him the foundation so that he doesn't have to worry. He doesn't have to worry about, you know, if he wants to bring a study group back to his apartment, which now he does. He does, you know, he doesn't have to worry about, you know, if he's going to have a good night's rest before he's in labs all day. He does, and that was the support of the community, which is, you know, it's just amazing what impact, um, you know, something like buying a sheet set. Um, you know, it's it's each individual coming together to really pull yeah. pull together for him has made um, him so grateful and and you know if all goes well he's he's going to be operating on many of us. Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> it's, it's it, line. yeah. <laughs> I, when when we were talking the other day, you were sharing some of that story, and and I was struck by the fact that you know one one family provided the sheets and one family provided the pots and pans, and it's yep. it's that little yep. it's 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 one person receiving yep. from so many and and he can just grow from that yep. and uh, just to hear his story and, and he's so grateful he's he's right. such a humble young man and he's so smart he's yeah. you know it's it's a terrific opportunity yeah it's really it's really neat um, when Courtney and I were talking I was telling her about the series that we've been doing talking about poor general relationships and how we've kind of I've been in the Old Testament looking at the the Chronicles in particular and um, as, as I move out of First Chronicles, which is where we've been, into Second Chronicles, I was just reading through uh, this story, again, of uh, David and Solomon, and just reading through this, this point, uh, this, this time. And, and at this point in, in our story, uh, Solomon has become king, um, as we've been watching him do. And, he's become, and not only has he become king, but he's building God's temple in uh, Second Chronicles. So God, David, as you may remember from last week, God gave David a vision of what the temple would look like. He passed that on to his son uh, because son was a man of, uh, Solomon was a man of peace. And so here you have Solomon building this temple, and it's glorious. It's this incredible temple. I mean, page after page after page talking about the, the ornateness of the temple, how it's covered in gold and precious jewels, and it's so detailed. And it, it literally is a house made for God. And so how this thing is, has been built. And what's interesting to me at this point in the story is news of Solomon and what he's doing travels. So it travels so far, it actually travels 2,500 miles to Ethiopia. So it travels 2,500 miles south to Ethiopia. And Queen of Sheba is her name. She's listed in the, in the Bible. The Queen of Sheba, she hears of him and she visits and she starts peppering Solomon. She shows up with her entourage, and she starts peppering Solomon with all of these questions. And, and she was overwhelmed by what she found. And then I want to read this for you in 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 9, verses 5 through 9, and then verse 12. And it says this, She exclaimed to the king, everything that, uh, every, she exclaimed, exclaimed to the king, Everything that I heard in my country about your achievements and wisdom is true. I didn't believe what was said until I arrived here and saw with my own eyes. In fact, I had not heard of half of your great wisdom. It is far beyond what I was told. How happy your people must be. What a privilege for your officials to stand here day after day listening to your wisdom. Praise to the Lord your God, who delights in you and has placed you on the throne as king to rule for him. Because God loves Israel and desires this kingdom to, be la to last forever, he has made you king over them so you can rule with justice and with righteousness. And then she gave the king 9,000 pounds of gold, great quantities of jewels and spices, uh, of spices and precious jewels. Never before had there been seen spices as fine as those that the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. And then in verse 12, King Solomon gave the queen of Sheba whatever she asked for, gifts of greater value than the gifts that she had given. Then and she and all of her tenants returned 
to their own land. And the reason why I share this with you is because Solomon, as we've been looking at, Solomon is, is part of this history, this lineage that comes out of David. And first, David's family, they worked really hard to forge a relationship with God, as we've seen that. Forge a relationship with God is so important. And then we watched through, through last week in the study of, though imperfect people they were, they learned to forge a relationship with each other. They forged a relationship with God first, and then they forged a relationship with each other. And the result of doing that, the result of doing that was that a relationship with the community could be borne out. 2,500 miles away, back in those days, the Queen of Sheba heard about what was going on in Solomon's life, that these relationships were being forged, and she came to check it out. And when she came to check it out, she saw that, it was, that this was an established place where God was going to reign forever, and it was going to last forever, and God was blessing his people. And so there was this forging of this relationship that went on, and the result was the community took notice. And then look at the blessing. Sheba comes and she blesses the people. He blesses Solomon. Solomon blesses Sheba. There's a blessing that happens when a forging of relationship with the community occurs. You've already talked about it that your kids today, the, the, the advocate, that you're serving as an advocate with these three children, you said it yourself, you are being blessed by the relationship that you have with them. There's a blessing when we get involved in our community. And so as we look to the future of our church, as we look at the ABCs of, of 2022, we want to be forging a relationship with God. We want to forge a relationship with each other, make that really strong and good and, and so good that people outside the world notice they, they see what's going on here, and then we go and we forge a relationship with our community so that we can bless others and we can find so much more rich blessing uh, in our relationship with God uh, from that time. So I just want to thank you, uh, Courtney, for coming. I know you said thank you to come, but we are so grateful that God has done the work of, of, of pairing us together and putting us in this place. And I continue to look forward to uh, conversations and opportunities to... Uh, to do ministry, to do work, to do outreach together, um, and, uh, and what we can do in Pasea County uh, as a greater thing. So I would like to close, you're welcome. Uh, I would like to close uh, in prayer and just pray for CASA and to pray for us. So if you guys would join uh, us in prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, I thank you uh, for giving us this day. I thank you uh, for Erica and for Courtney and for the team that is there. I thank you for the work that they are doing for the students and for the children uh, that they interact with on a daily basis, for the advocates, Lord, who are giving up of their time, talent, and their treasure to love uh, kids and to give them stability and safety and to provide mentorship. Lord, it is such an incredible opportunity in a world, Lord, where it, was so, it is so dark so often, so much of the time. Lord, this is a place for, for light to be found. And Lord, for our ability as a church to come alongside them and to uh, cast a light, to cast the light of Jesus into this, um, into this situation, Lord, we want to do that to whatever end you will allow us to do it. So I do thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that we have to forge a relationship uh, with you, to forge a relationship with each other, and ultimately, God, to go out and to forge that relationship with our community. We pray this all today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.